We're looking in Exodus chapter 11 and Exodus chapter 12. Like last week, it's a little bit of a long reading, uh, but I believe the text will be on the screen for you this morning. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring on Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people, that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of his neighbor for silver and gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and of every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor will there ever be again. Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Chapter 12 and verse 3 says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each one can eat if you make account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then you shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the lentil of the house in which you eat. Verse 13 says, And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I, seek, when I strike the land of Egypt. At midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, to the firstborn of the livestock, Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all of the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go up from among my people, from you and the people of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. And then verse 40. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. May the Lord bless and use His Word, His voice, His Spirit in our lives today. You know, the things that we remember are really, really important. 
In fact, we don't really remember that many things. Isn't that true? Uh, somebody challenged me one time and said, just think about if you could remember one thing for every day that you were alive. Well, that would be a lot. Uh, today, I happen to be celebrating my 19,240th birthday. Uh, not like years old, but days old. I'm, I'm 19,000 years old. Uh, I know you'll want to give me a card for that because it's always a big day anytime you turn 19,240. Uh, but if you were to try to rem remember one thing for every day that you lived, it would be impossible. In fact, if you try to remember what you did on Thursday, that's a little bit of a challenge. And instead of trying to remember one thing for every day of your life, how about you just hit your birthdays? Uh, how many of your birthdays do you remember? And maybe to make it even easier than that, just the birthdays that ended with zero. That, that, that narrows down how many of those birthdays they are. But you'd have a difficult time even remember all of those. Where were you? Who did you celebrate it with? Was it a great birthday? Was it a so-so birthday? Was it a really hard day? All of those days are hard to remember. So the things that we do remember, boy, they must really, really matter. They must really, really be important if there's something that has stuck inside of our brain that has stayed with us for a really long time. They must be really, really important. What we've looked at this morning in the Word of God this morning is that we are looking at one of the most memorable, most remembered events in all of Scripture. In fact, the events that we look at today, that the Passover, is really at the core of not just one world religion, but two world religions. It is one of the most central acts in all of history, and in fact, the Jewish people make such an emphasis on remember these events. Remember this. Do not let your children, do not let your grandchildren forget these events. This is one of the most important events in all of Scripture to remember. And here we are this morning looking at these passages of Scripture. So what is it that we should remember and understand from these passages uh, this morning? One of the things that I want you to see this morning as we dive in is I want you to see uh, this morning that there is a strange obedience. There is a strange obedience. Did you kind of run through that as we were reading this morning about the instructions of what you were supposed to do with a lamb and how you were supposed to take that lamb on a particular day of the month and then you were supposed to bring it into your house for several more days in your life? You were supposed to count up how many people were in your house, how many people that lamb would serve. You were supposed to make sure that that lamb was an unblemished lamb. If the count was off between how many people were in your house and the lamb, then you were supposed to coordinate with some of your neighbors to make sure that your count between people in your house and the number of people that that lamb would serve were supposed to be put uh, together. In addition to that, there was a day in which everyone was supposed to kill their lambs, not just on the same day, but at the same hour of the day. And then when you killed that lamb, here was the recipe. We didn't read all the recipe, but the part of the recipe was included on how you were supposed to prepare that ram, lamb. And then you were supposed to take the blood from that lamb, and you were supposed to put it over the door stops, the sides of the door and the top of the door. That's a lot of instruction. 
All of this is connected to one of the great miracles that God is going to do. Now, we are in the midst of a whole series of miracles that God is doing. We, we, we referred last week to the nine great miracles that God did on behalf of Israel, trying to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. Now, this is the tenth of the miracles. But I think what's interesting is that this is the first miracle that there is a demand, a call, or an expectation on the people of Israel. All of the others, they could sit back and watch. All of the others, they would read the newspaper the next day and say, what did God do this time? But for this one, this one, God comes to them and says, this is what I need you to do. This is the obedience that I have to have for you to do. I need you to take the lamb. It needs to be the unblemished lamb. I need you to count the heads of the people in your house. I need you to prepare it this way. I need you to execute it on this day. I need you to put the blood on the top of the doorpost. Kind of wonder about the conversations in the neighborhood that week. Person walks up to the next person and says, So the lamb thing. Did you get the memo about the lamb? Did, did, did you hear what Moses says we have to do uh, about, about the lamb? Are you doing it? I mean, are, are you going to do it? Do you, do you think your family is, is, is going to do it? I think that for some people inside of that conversation, the answer was yes. If that's what Moses says we're supposed to do, then that's what we're going to do. Because Moses says that because it comes from God. And if this is the word of God to us, then of course we're going to do it. But some other folks, they might have like, well, I don't know. I'm going to see if some other people are doing it before I do it. You ever have some things in your life that you want to say, I don't want to be the only person doing this. And so I'm going to just kind of wait and see whether other people are doing it. There are some other people that, that may have said, you know what, my lamb crop, is that the right word? My, 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 my flock of lamb, my, my, my lambs to choose from, it wasn't a great year. In fact, I don't know that I really have a young lamb that is unblemished that, that I can really give up this year. If I give up this lamb this year, look at the impact that it's going to have on future years. I, I, I don't know whether I, I might have to sit this year out. Some people say, I don't know if I'm going to do this if nobody else is doing this. Other people are going to look at this and say, you know what? I like to zig where everybody else zags. And if everybody else is doing this, maybe it's not for me. You know, I don't want to just follow along with the crowd and just do the same thing that everybody else is doing. And so I just wonder about the conversations, the lamb thing. Are you doing it? Maybe even some of the households, hey, dad, are we doing the lamb thing? I think some of the neighbors are doing the lamb thing. Are we doing the lamb thing? And it's interesting that of all the other things, the people got to just sit back and watch. But for this one, there was a call to participate. There was a call in their lives to rearrange their lives and actually decide, are they in or are they out? Are they going to participate and join in what God calls on them to do? Or are they just going to sit back and wait and watch and just kind of make a decision later? You see, there are some times in our lives where God is ready to do something new, when God is ready to do something great, when God is ready to do what is next. But what he says is, I need you to come along on this one. 
Uh, I need you to rearrange life. I need you to take some action. And sometimes we talk about in church, but listen here, folks, God sees your heart, and that's what really, really matters. And God looks and he sees your heart, and all of that is true. But sometimes he sees your heart, and he also wants you to act. Because sometimes I think as the people of God, we can get comfortable just nodding our heads along. And we hear something that is true. We hear something that is right. We hear some things that we say, oh yeah, I believe that. I think that that's true. Oh yeah, I'm on that side. I, I believe in that. And so we just sit back and we nod our head and say, yep, yep, that's where my heart is. That's what I believe. But in this moment, you're either taking the lamb in the house or you're not. You're either waiting till the 14th day or the 10th day and then the 14th day. You're either killing the animal at twilight. You're either putting the blood on the door or you're not. Sometimes the call of God on our life is it is time to rearrange our life and do something only because that's what God tells us to do. Now here's the thing. It didn't make sense. We know the rest of the story. We know how this story finishes out. We know how it's completed. But at that point in time, they didn't know it, they didn't see it, and they didn't know what it all meant. So their obedience was really obedience in the dark. Now sometimes it'd be a whole lot easier if God would tell us how the story ends. And Oh yeah, I can be obedient to that. But sometimes the things that he calls on us to be obedient to, to rearrange our life and to do, it doesn't make a bit of sense. It doesn't match. It's not what I want to do. And so we kind of look around and say, is anybody else doing this? Is this convenient for me? Is this something I would probably do anyways? But God calls on us and says, listen, I need you to do it. Because I said to do it. And it leaves us with a choice that says, I'm in or I'm not in. And those are really significant moments in life, just as it was for the people of God here. It's a strange obedience. I'd also tell you that as we think back over this passage of Scripture, man, there's a serious consequence here. There's a serious consequence. Again, sometimes because we are familiar with the Word of God and because we've heard a passage like this talked about and taught a bunch of different times and because we've kind of learned the talking points along the way, sometimes we don't let the passage of Scripture hit us like it should. In fact, as I come to this passage of Scripture this morning, there are some things that hit me about this passage of Scripture that if I were to be honest, and I probably should be right now as much as any other time in my life, if I were to be honest, it's hard. This is a passage that describes an angel of death that passes over the nation of Egypt and kills the firstborn of every house. In fact, the passage of Scripture tells us that there's not a single house in all of Egypt that doesn't experience death in some way. Now, if I'm editing Scripture, 
and say, God, I'd put this in, but I wouldn't put this in? I don't know that I would have put this in. This is a story about God bringing death to the land. That's hard. Well, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, to begin with, I think we need to be reminded that God is a serious God. I'm not trying to say that threateningly. I'm not trying to say that with the spirit of lightning bolts and all that kind of thing. But I'm just saying God is not a game. It's not a toy. He's not a plaything. It's not just warm fuzzies. God is a real, powerful, holy God who has demands on our life. Anytime we talk about God, it is serious. And so we need to hear that. And we need to hear a passage like this because of that. I would also tell you that this is the 10th miracle, or as we like to call it, the 10th plague. Now, what that means is they had plenty of chances. Pharaoh had plenty of opportunities. Pharaoh could have made the Bible shorter and just had one plague. Water turns to blood. Pharaoh says, you know what? You guys can go. In fact, Pharaoh could have said you can go before any plagues. Pharaoh could have stopped when darkness fell over the land. Pharaoh could have stopped with the flies or the locusts or the hail or the cattle disease, or any of those things. At any one of those times, Pharaoh could have said, you know what? The people can go. But he didn't. He hardened his heart. He rebelled. He was disobedient. And because of that, God stayed in the process until we come to the last resort. Sometimes we have a tendency to be disobedient to be rebellious, to reject the way of God, and then blame God for what happens. For us to say, you know what, God, I know this is the way that you said is best for my life. This is the way in which you said my life can be blessed. Hold on to that right now. I'm going over here. And when over here falls apart, we're like, God, how did you do this to me? Well, no, he, he told you to be here. It was the rebelliousness of my heart and of my life that went over here. And when bad things happen over here, I'm like, God, why did you do that? He didn't. It was my rebellion. It was my rejection of his path. And yet my continued rebellion says, God, this is your fault that this happened. I'll tell you one more thing about the seriousness of the death of the firstborn and the grief that it brought to that entire nation is that at the end of the chapter, the death doesn't hit stop. It hits pause. The firstborn across all of Egypt dies. From Pharaoh to the slave to the cattle. But it's not a stop, it's a pause. Because there's one more firstborn who's going to die. 
that is Jesus himself, the firstborn of God. And he gathers his disciples for a celebration of the Passover remembrance. And he says to them, this bread is my body that's broken for you. This cup is my blood that is poured out for you. Because from the first days that Jesus was introduced to the world, he was introduced as, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And his life is given as a sacrifice. And it's by the blood of that Lamb Jesus himself that is put over our lives that we are rescued from the bondage and death and sin that we have been rescued because of. And so while we look at this and say the harshness of what God did to this people, understand that God applied that to himself to rescue us from our bondage and our brokenness and from our sin. That's the seriousness of what God has done for us. Don't miss that today. And then I would tell you that there is a completeness of the fulfillment. I want you to see a complete fulfillment. You see, God had promised to the people of Israel, he had promised to Abraham that they would be freed from bondage. He promised, he promised Moses that they would be freed from bondage. And for a long time, it looked like it wasn't going to happen, and then it does. In fact, we talked a little bit last week about how there was almost this negotiation between Moses and Pharaoh, and Moses says, just let us leave for the weekend. Let us just go a little ways, and Pharaoh says, no, you can't go. And then Pharaoh says, you can go, but you can go just a little bit of distance, or you can go, but you can't take your cattle. You can go, but you can't take your families. You can go, but you can't do all those things. And it was just this kind of negotiating that was going on in terms of helping Pharaoh release the people. And so it seemed like half measures all the way through. When God is finished here, Pharaoh says, leave you, your cattle, your children, everyone, leave. In fact, the completeness of it, it's almost as though Pharaoh is pushing them out the door. Hey, in fact, it says that they are thrust out. He said, leave now. Get out now. All of your stuff, all of it, go now. And after months and years and centuries of bondage, what seemed like was never going to happen, happens entirely. It happens so fast that they do not have time to pack. They ha it happens so fast that they don't even have time to finish their provisions for food for the journey. It happens so fast that th they have to eat their meal standing up with their bags packed in their hand because even then, Mo Pharaoh says, leave now. I never want to see you again. It, it happens completely it happens faster than they imagine. And it even happens beyond their wildest dreams. There's a little footnote that shows up a couple times in the passage where Moses tells the people of God, hey, listen, God's about to do something. Ask your neighbors for all of their gold and silver and their jewelry. 
try that this afternoon. Go, go knock on the door. Folks to your left, folks to the right, say, hey, uh, I don't know, we haven't really talked. We wave at each other when we're cutting grass, but could I have all of your gold, silver, and your jewelry? Um, don't wear a mask while you're doing that. Um, it, it may come across wrong. Um, you're probably going to get the same response that the Israelites probably expected from their neighbors. But they did. And it tells us that the next morning, as Pharaoh is saying, get out now that their neighbors came and brought to them their gold and their silver and their jewelry and said, take it, just leave. Just leave. And so here they are. They have been freed from their bondage and their captivity after waiting and saying, it's never going to happen. It's like, leave now. Don't look back. Don't grab your stuff. Just get out. And by the way, here is the wealth of Egypt to carry with you. God is going to completely fulfill his promises. It's who he is. And he's going to do it more completely than we imagine. It's going to happen faster than we imagine. And it's going to happen beyond our wildest imagination. Sometimes it takes a while. But do not confuse the delay with God forgetting his promises. Do not forget, God keeps his promises. So what does this mean for our lives this morning? What's the application for us? Well, there's one sense in which I would just tell you, is there a place in your life that you're supposed to move from nodding your head to doing something? Again, we sit as the people of God and say, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. I agree, I believe that, that's true. But maybe it says, I don't just want your affirmation. I don't want you to just check a box. I want you to rearrange your life and do something. And maybe that's based on something that is the instruction of God in the Word of God. It says, this is the way that you live your life. This is the kind of life that I look for. This is what it means to honor and please me. And maybe there are some clear direction of God that you need to rearrange your life to live under that. Or maybe there's the Spirit of God that's been leading you in a specific way. Maybe it's not straight from Scripture, but it's consistent with Scripture. He says, this is what you're supposed to do. And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But he doesn't want a ha ha. He wants you to do. He wants you to put into action and to rearrange your life and life to be different because of what he says. Maybe that obedience needs to happen while it's still dark. Before the lights come on, before all of the explanation, before it all makes sense before you can look back. Maybe your act of obedience is supposed to happen now and not later. Maybe he's looking for you to move in faith before it makes sense. And that's what you're supposed to do. And then I would say, for those of you that are waiting for the promise of God, 
hold on. Hold on. It can seem like it takes a long time, but he will fulfill his promises. Sometimes it seems like it's taking forever. But when he says it's time, it'll happen faster than you can imagine. And so if you're in that season of waiting, and maybe you're discouraged, I would say to you, hold on. Hold on. Keep holding on. He fulfills his promises. Let me pray for you.